You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 26 So, how are things progressing? Lieutenant Dunstan asked, approaching Harcourt quietly. They were both in the southern-facing blind, watching the trace of grass and mud that was what passed for a trail leading to Irontown. Nearly every step squelched as the ground sought to absorb the rain from the clouds that had pounded them over the last few days. Today dawned uncomfortably hot, and a wealth of insects had risen in the heat and the damp to feed upon the Fairchild mercenaries. As can be expected, Lieutenant, Harcourt said curtly. Did you uh, reconfirm our position as being lawful, Harcourt? Dunstan asked. Yes, sir. In fact, one of the men found a Lunar Genti boundary marker down the road to the south a bit. We are well outside of Her Majesty's territory. Excellent. I know that Duke Northmarch has a few training camps nearby. I don't know if they're occupied right now, but I don't wish to become a sudden-class project, if you take my meaning. Aye, Lieutenant. We have nothing to fear from the Lunargenti military. Well, that's good. Well, I'm back to my tent, I'm afraid. This heat is dreadful. Yes, sir, Harcourt saluted, and held his sigh until the man had vanished again, then let it out. He took a swig of water. At least whomever was funding this trip knew a few things about surviving in this place, and one of them was clean food and water. Lanoff, the pistolier, made a show of checking his pistols again, and then grinned a smile at the sergeant with the tooth missing. Down the hill a little, Harcourt heard the clatter of dice again. That would be Barrowman and Tbilisi playing at stones. They were using an old buckler shield to roll on, and it made a tinny noise each time they did. For a moment, he thought about getting up and reaming them both out for playing on the job, but... This was the fifth day straight they'd been waiting for a caravan that had not come, and the pressure was getting tight. They'd seen a few guar in it's true. A hunting party of three of the wolfmen had run by at a distance, seemingly oblivious to their hidden camp. Once a particularly large ibex had wandered by, its shaggy coat slowly clearing for summer, but it had a roomy eye, and Lanov had said, he wouldn't eat it if they'd caught it, so they let it go. And a troop of nail tongues had been seen on the eastern horizon, the far viewers showing a hunting party running along at speed. Only the tall Tarasks, with the two pairs of arms, were recognizable at that distance, but there they had been. Taylith. Sir, Taylith's eyes flew open to awareness next to him. Do you go and check the mines again, will you? As you wish, Sergeant. I just don't want any of these going off by accident. 
Yes, sir, Taylor said, rising and bowing to him in a Changian style. I will obey. The horses were high-stepping along the March Warden's way, the new teamster Rusk showing his skill as he kept up with Dobb's team, his chestnut ponytail streaming along in the breeze. Dobb had spent some time with the half-agrim young man, showing him the rig, but he quickly demonstrated his prowess with the reins. "'This much good! Much good more in poop cart!' Rusk said in trade, grinning, to which Dobb had to agree. Sir Valadane's troop traveled along with the caravan for a time, joking and chatting with the mercenaries as they went, whilst Kennel rode alongside Peter, telling him all he could about the road ahead. Not one, but three Lunargenti women, Tessa, Cristiana, and Fiona, had come out to give Peter their goodbyes, and he took their letterbox cards from each of them, even though he wasn't wealthy enough to own a letterbox of his own yet. Comparatively speaking, a small army of Arandani women had shown up to say goodbye to the factor. He had, however, quickly taken to his wagon cabin and had not come out since. When finally, at day's end, they came to camp, Sir Valadane's men took to the woods to bring down dinner, and in time they were all enjoying the sight of a young buck roasting on the fire. Kennel found Raven in the shadows by the firelight and spoke to her quietly there. Do you think you'll be returning this way, Raven? She shrugged. No way to tell. At this point, with the swamp blocking the river road south, our path is the only safe way through. So I can imagine that we will. I can't be sure of that. I'm not in charge. Yes, it will take many seasons for nature to undo that which Ulin did. Well, let me help increase the chances, he said, and held out the silver token of safe passage and guestship he'd given Peter before. That for you. You don't need it, of course. Your family. But the factor may be more amenable to coming back this way if he knows his load will be tariff-free. Within reason, of course, I doubt you'll be able to convince the border guard of an entire wagon train's worth of exemption. Yeah, I could just see the errand men trying to take advantage. So, uh, you ride for Hunt Creek after this? Sir Valadane will, most assuredly, but I will continue with you until you cross out of Lunargenti lands. That is, if you'll have me. Raven quirked a grin. I guess you're kind of useful, so that's okay with me. Kennel looked at her then, storm-gray eyes flashing. Emotions passed over him for a few heartbeats, mixed with regret over the lost time they both had. He felt the sharpness of his daughter's pragmatism and despair at the sense that things would never change positively between them. But time would have to tell, and at least now he knew of her and she of him, and that was a beginning. The two, father and daughter, sat in silence for a time. So, this brotherhood thing, Raven began aloud. 
Please, speak of the Brotherhood through spirit ways, Raven. You never know when we may be overheard. Okay, she continued, switching to the inner voice of spirit. So, this Brotherhood thing, what do I get out of it? Assistance. Help sometimes. Rescue sometimes. Information. Transportation. Transportation? Like what? There are many members of the Brotherhood who have the ability to get from one place to another very rapidly, Raven. Travel doesn't always have to be slow. So what else? Communication. Any member of the Brotherhood can effectively speak to any other kin to the stag just by thinking about them. At a distance, we only use it for emergencies. However, it is very tiring for the spirits that facilitate such communication. However, short range, this kind of spirit speech is very easy and can help in a lot of ways. I'll say, is it detectable? Will a ward or some magic sensor pick it up? No, not as such. Let's just say I haven't heard of a situation where someone has picked it up. The non-tiring range is, well, as far away as you could normally speak and be heard. I can be heard quite a long ways away. Yes, well, there you have it. Is it a secret? Raven asked. Her father paused for a moment and then nodded slowly. In a manner of speaking, we do not think that the world would be very happy to know that there are people throwing their weight against one side or another of the balance, striving for the furtherance of life. So, we keep ourselves hidden. And we are protected magically. If I were to ask you to join and you refused, the fact that I did so would have been taken from your mind. You can do that? Not I, but others of the Brotherhood may, yes. To keep our secrets... At the very least, we'll have one of our bards gaze you. One of your... How many are in the Brotherhood? Raven asked. Hundreds, perhaps thousands by now. Most of them freebooters, although there are a few who have retired the life of adventuring and have taken up residence in Treehaven to help the rest of us. All right, I'll bite. What's Treehaven? A walled grove in dreams. A promised place of safety, the heart of the Brotherhood, and what all we stand for. The fulcrum of the balance. It is the hearth of the stag, the gleam in his eye. It is hidden, but all who are Brotherhood will eventually visit there at least once. You will, and the crewmates who are Brotherhood will. You mean other folks in this crew are Brotherhood? Yes. Peter... An alabar. Maybe even Arin, I don't know. Gypsies are frequently recruited by the Corby. What's a Corby? Is that like a raven? Just so. <laughs> I think you are more kin to the Corby than to the stag, perhaps. Yeah? What makes you think that? The Corby's kin are our eyes in the shadows. The stag is the heart. The falcon, he's our far view. The tree is our guiding light, the snake is our mystery, and the land our foundation. Each of these spirits chooses you when you arrive at Treehaven as a sibling spirit. 
I have a feeling that Corby will choose you, just as the stag chose me once upon a time. Stag. Hey, that reminds me. She fiddled with something at her belt and pulled it out, unwrapped it from black silk, and held it over to Kennel in the palm of her hand. I have something here for you. It's a thing Mother had. Left it in a ward box. Kennel slowed to a stop and took the item from her, looking it over. Cara Volan, the heart of the hunter. Fascinating. So that's where it got off to. Uh, was it yours? Raven asked. No. It is jointly owned by the land, to be truthful. Are you giving this to me? Kennel asked. Raven nodded. Well, the Magister said that I should, and I guess that's what I want to do. Kennel smiled and handed it back to her wordlessly. I can have it? Yes, you may have it. I may need to borrow it back in the future, but I think it will serve you better for now. Is that okay? Are you going to, like get in trouble, Raven asked, strapping the armband on her arm and making sure it fit properly. Kennel turned to look at her again and saw the stag standing there over her left shoulder. The stag's eyes were shining. He stood there for a moment, then turned and vanished into the woods. Yes, I think it'll be just fine. Now, let's show you how to use it, okay? Kennel said. Yes, let's, Raven said, grinning. Start with that move unseen and strike unerringly thing. No. We'll start with attunement, giving you a sense of all around you first. The striking unerringly will come later. Whatever, Raven said, but she was smiling. Several days passed as they made their way up the March Warden Road, following the same route the Lunargenti army would use if there ever was an invasion of the kingdom. The work of the Storm King centuries previous was still visible. The road was straight, maintained, the towers equally so. Peter's eyes picked out likely kill zones and other spots that had been literally engineered into the land itself before being covered in trees and underbrush and all of it looked as natural as it could be. Brudines in these places were few and far between. Instead, there were military supply caches protected by rock-brick houses and magical wards to keep the merely curious at bay. And yet, wildflowers bloomed along the road, and birds sang in the trees, and the spring sun rose and promised to bake off some of the muck that had risen up between the tabby chalks of the road. Peter noted with approval how Raven had changed, however subtle it may have been. There was a new confidence in her, a new awareness of her surroundings. She wasn't a street rat in the wilderness anymore. He also noted how Kennel seemed to be spending a lot more time with her of late. It didn't seem to be interfering with her duties, but it was strange to him until night came, and at dinner she told the company about her newly found father. 
Congratulations, Raven, Alabar said, smiling. Yeah, well, Raven began. I never quite realized that you didn't know who your father was, Arryn said quietly. I don't know how I would handle that myself. Yeah, well, it's not really a big deal. Does this mean you'll be taking up your position in Lunar Genti society? Jurgen asked. Raven does not at this time want that factor, Kennel interrupted before she could speak. She prefers to keep a low profile. Well, I'm glad for one. You're going to stay with the company, at least until we get to Irontown? Peter remarked. We don't need a scout putting on fancy airs around here. Oh, yeah? And what about a sergeant putting on fancy airs? What about that, Sir Peter? Raven asked. How did you find out about that? Peter asked. Sir V told me he's going to keep it under his hat. I told her, Peter, I'm sorry if that wasn't wanted. Kennel began. No, no, it's okay. I just... Well, and to answer your question, no, it doesn't change anything for me. I am just Peter Colbond. I think of that knighting thing, that was just for show or something. To be true, Peter, it was not just for show. I heard what you did to save Rusk's life. I also heard what Sir Valadane said about you. Now, it may not count in Yar, but as far as we Lunargens are concerned, you are a knight, and do all rights and privileges due to that office. Arn got up and bowed low to Peter, doffing his non-existent cap. All honor to you, Sir Peter, he said, grinning. Shut up, you, Peter said back. I'll have you on latrine duty for the rest of the trip. Arn grinned and bowed again. I do the latrine if you want, Peter, sir, Rusk said quietly in the silence that followed. What? Oh, hell no, Rusk. Look, you're a member of the crew. We all take turns with the work. It's everybody's job to do. Was Rusk's job before? Aye, it was. But now you're a teamster. A driver, yes? Rusk drive cart, yes. So now you just go do what we do? Follow Dov's lead? We'll help you out here. Also be sure, Dov, to get Rusk a pistol. While we're in Lunilands, we're probably pretty safe. But I want him to have one. Dracon? Rusk asked quizzically. I, Dracon? You know how to use? Peter asked. Rusk shook his head no. Well, you best go and learn. Dav will teach you. Dav, there's a few empty cider bottles you can use as targets. Hurry on before you lose all the light. We'll stop here for the night. Everybody else, let's get the camp set up, shall we? Are you sure that's a good idea, Sergeant? Jurgen asked as he watched the two men walk away. Peter turned back to him. Aye, I do. We'll need all hands if we meet it with trouble. But not the worry factor. Rusk is good people, I can tell. You know from nail tongues, then? Jurgen asked. I know from people. Subject's clothes factor. Very well, Sergeant, but if he slits our throats while we sleep... Then I won't have to listen to your snoring anymore, Peter said, grinning. Soon the sun sank below the horizon, and night sounds took over in the forest, and the invisible biting insects took flight from their hiding places and began to feast on the crew. 
They built a fire and roast the remaining venison they had. Dov made sure Rusk got plenty to eat, and the new teamster fell asleep soon after he tended to the horses. Pleased with his dracon pistol in its holster at his side. Raven, would you pretty please quit your complaining? Peter asked. It's not as if I like the bugs any more than you do. Raven looked up surprised. Sarge, I didn't say anything. Alabar's eyes opened at that. He had been trying to catch a nap as they rode, but had failed at that, so he had fallen asleep beside the fire. Now he sat up, his eyes wide and thoughtful. Alabar reached up to touch the silver acorn necklace around his neck, reaching out with his thoughts to speak to Peter. Sergeant, I believe you may have been picking up on Raven's stray thoughts. Could it be that she, too, is of the Brotherhood? Bugger, Peter sent back. I didn't even know you were Patra. Who brought you in? Lady Mariel, and you, Raven, he said, including Raven in the conversation. My father, Raven sent back, nodding at Kennel. Ah, that makes sense, Peter sent. Excuse me, what's going on? Arryn's mental voice broke into the conversation. Hey, Arryn, I wonder if... Raven began, then saw the silver oak leaf around Arryn's neck. Hey, you're one of us too, Raven sent to Arryn. The Brotherhood, yes, I've been kin to the stag ever since I was of age, Arryn said. What of it? Why did you get all quiet all of a sudden? Chandra said to the collected gathering. Arryn looked around the campsite and made certain that Dov and Rusk and Jurgen were nowhere to be seen, then looked to Kenhull for permission. The green ward nodded. Chandra, I have a question for you, my dear. Do you believe in the balance? The road had dwindled to nearly nothing, just a trace that made its way unerringly across the long, wet, cold, flat cold wastes. This is the last of Lunargen, Kennel said to Peter, and he called a halt. A troop of fast coursers had passed them earlier in the day, giving the caravan a wide berth as they saw Kennel, whom they knew of old. But now they moved across the northernmost boundary of Lunargen the point Kenholz had said he'd need to leave them. He dismounted then, handing his horse off to Dov to put in a trail behind them, and turned to Raven. For a moment, it appeared that Raven might turn away from him, but that moment passed, and father and daughter embraced with a long hug. Bright blessings upon the road for you, and keep you safe until next we meet, Kennel said. Yeah, uh, you too, Raven said. He shook Peter's hand and had a word for Alabar, Arryn, Chandra, Dov, and even Rusk before he turned and began to run. In a moment, he'd vanished into the trees and was gone. I wish I could do that, Arryn murmured. What? I thought you were at one with the forest, Raven said. Next to your father? I'm at two with the forest at best. Arryn said, grinning. Raven hit him playfully. Once off the main Marchwarden Road, things went more slowly. 
Several times the caravan had to halt and pick its way around mud that was too deep. Peter and Raven rode just ahead of the carts for this very reason. Wind that had had a long time to gain both speed and strength came barreling out of the north and occasionally from the far-off ocean to the west. It was chill, but the sun beating down on them was relentless. As they rode, the crew began to relax a little. It would be easy to see anything that moved through the sea of hardy long grass to attack them. A long, hot bath, I think. That's the first thing I'm going to buy in Irontown, Raven said, grinning. Tenuvial House got me spoiled. Sprays of mud had already caked her leathers almost near to her hip, and the sun was still high in the sky, meaning there would be many more miles this day. I'm going to take a room at the Oaken Tree, best inn in town, and then sleep for as long as I can, Arn said, sighing. What about you, Preacher? Will you be making a beeline for the Temple of Valor? Chandra inserted herself into the conversation then. I've asked the Patra to help me claim my assurance payment at the Merchant's Guild, to be my advocate. Ah, I see. Yes. It's likely it'll take a miracle for the Arendani to release money, lawful claim or no. And what about you, Sergeant? What will you be doing with your danger pay? Uh, as to that, uh, I've got a few uh, debts to pay off. Sergeant, I didn't know you were a gambling man. We could have played a few hands of Parker, Arin said, smiling. Nay, Gypsy, not a gambler. Gambling's a reckless waste. Let's just say it was private. A family affair, and have done. As you wish, Sarge, as you wish. The door to Jurgen's wagon flew open, and Jurgen peeked out, one hand holding onto the door's grab bar for dear life as the wagon's wheels took jouncing ruts, rocking and threatening to spill over from time to time. Sergeant! Sergeant! I need to speak to you right away! Peter called a halt and eased his horse back to where he could see the factor. What is it now, factor? Did you run out of cold cider? Peter asked, grinning at first, but that soon died as he listened to what the factor had to say. An agent from the Presta Concern in Northport reports that some mercenaries have been hired to... To make certain we never make it to Irontown, Jurgen said, reading from a parchment. Peter's eyes narrowed. Mercenaries? Which mercenaries? Jurgen read from the paper which had arrived in his letterbox. Gear Falcon, he said. Do you know them? Right, nasty bastards, Gear Falcon. Most of them former Jackies, former Triumvirate forces. Likes to use magic. Top-heavy. Specialize in no questions asked. Yeah, I know him. Shit. Something wrong, Sergeant? Aaron asked. Yeah, you could say that. Gear Falcons a burn the butt, they are. Peter swore. When do they leave Northport? Jurgen read again from the paper. Looks like eight days ago. <laughs> Great! It's taken them this long to get the word to us? Peter asked, incredulous. My dear sergeant, the speed of this missive represents a well-nigh preternatural level of efficiency for the Prester Concerned Secretarial Pool, I assure you. No telling where they'll be holed up, either. Give them two days to get here. 
Let's see. Give them about two days to get here. And six to set up. Damn! They'll have camouflage cloaks, probably a sorcerer. Heck, they'll probably be lying doggo behind a sight ward. Point is, they'll hit us where it's best for them, and not so good for us. Damn it! Shouldn't have hung out so long with Tanuvio. I feel like a damn schoolboy caught with his pants down. Gee, Sarge, you don't look like a schoolboy to me, Raven said, grinning. His eyes narrowed at her. Ah, Raven. I need you to do a scout out for me. He turned to Arin. Do you have your gypsy powers? Uh, as to that, Sergeant, I, um, won't be able to use it if it's for harming folk. What, did you just go get some morals? Huh. Okay, so how about just using it to tell uh, whether we're going to end up dirt napping anytime soon? How about that? That would be okay, I think, Arn said, grinning. Good. See if you can find out where our good friends the Falcon are hiding. In the meantime, let's make camp and get defensive. I want everybody going armed and ready for the fight. This means you too, Miss Chandra? Peter said. Arin's eyebrows went up at that. She's not a member of the company, Sarge. You can't just order her about. Do you want to survive? Peter asked Chandra. Chandra nodded. Then you'll help us fight, Peter said. She nodded again. I will. Can you shoot your fire at them? Peter asked. She nodded. Yes, sir. Have you ever killed a man? Peter asked quietly. She nodded slowly. I think so. And Alabar put his hand on her shoulder. Peter, Mad Jack was probably still recoverable when she burned him. So I suppose it counts. In any event, she has absolution for it, Alabar said. Good job, Chandra, burning a freak and a madman like that. Make no mistake, these mercenaries will attack us, and they will shoot to kill. While it may not be personal, it is business. And you can best be believed that it's a business they take seriously. Understood. Chandra nodded. I do. Rusk a fair good shot, sir, Dov said. So I gave him Gar's piece. I hope you don't mind. That's very fine, Mr. Dov. Now let's get to work, people. To move unseen, Raven thought. Well, here goes nothing. Arn had spent some time scrying for the mercenaries using a crude map and a pendulum given to him by his great-grandfather. Once he knew generally where to look with his inner sight, he was able to calm himself and focus on visualizing them. He had described something he called a hillock, which he explained to Raven was a small hill. There were no hills, Raven thought, in this vast green hell. But soon enough, she found a hill-ish place. It was green and overflowing with reeds and looked perfectly empty, and yet her street sense told her not to be deceived. There was glamour present, illusionary wards that hid them from the rest of the world. She waited and moved, waited and moved, circling the hillock as she did, 
counting the number of men she saw moving from blind to blind as she waited, using the patience she'd learned from Genza on the hunt. She thought about the Katzen for a moment, wishing that she could ask her advice on this one. Then she nearly put her foot down on something very, very nasty. Looking at it in the tall grass, it looked like a small ceramic egg with spikes shot through it. It glowed with an eerie purple radiance that seemed to pulse. She did not touch it. She moved very slowly around it. Please, Besar, she said to herself, invoking the Black Poolian god of luck. Let those be off the shelf room spikes. Nothing fancy. They couldn't afford a full-blown wizard, could they? She thought. As the sun burned across the sky, Raven watched them, knowing that her armband was protecting her from being discovered. Every so often she saw a man with strange purple eyes move from one place to another, the weirdling then, a sorcerer. Not bad, but not good either. At least he wasn't a full-blown wizard. Sorcerers had limited magical power. She was starting to suspect that perhaps her friend Chandra was one. They could focus on one area of power, usually an element of some kind, and master that. Occasionally they developed other powers, but very rarely. When she was certain of how many soldiers they had, she made her way back down the hill and took a long, slow, looping arc back to the campsite. Stepping out of the high grass, she tugged her arm guard free and smiled at Peter. Scout ready for a report, sir, she said to him. Peter grinned widely. Report, scout, he said, and she began. A coal stick was produced and parchment, and diagrams were made. The entire crew stood around looking, suggesting courses of action. All right, people, here's what we're going to do, Peter said and began detailing the action. By the time he was finished, the sun had vanished again over the horizon, and the team was assembled and ready to go. Raven tapped the pistolier on the shoulder with her right hand, and a blade from her left fist punctured the man through the sternum, stopping his heart. She lowered him slowly to the ground, shaking her head at the man's dull senses. Her hunter's sense flooded her, and she knew immediately where the other men were. The true difficulty was the sorcerer, she realized, her stomach sinking, for the weirdling was turning towards her slowly, and... She flung herself into the grass as a crackling burst of lightning struck the grass where she had just been. But before she could think further, her feet were at a run, and she felt the weirdling reaching out with his power to try and find her. She thought mouse thoughts then, pushing herself to remain quiet and avoid his magical net. There were a few breaths, and then she stilled even further, sinking into meditation, slowing her heart focusing her mind down to simply the soft thoughts of something small and inconsequential. Here now, what's this? came a voice to her right, and she turned, rotating on the balls of her feet, and threw her blade, which she aimed for the center of the soldier's chest. 
Instead of running from this one, she ran towards him, moving her hand in the flicking motion she used to recall her dagger, and made a little cannonball with her body as she thrust her entire weight and momentum against the man's midsection. His armor hindered him, and she scrambled to be on top of him before he could right himself, a dagger slipping quietly to his neck through the chinks in his armor. Call the sorcerer off, she whispered to him, and I'll give you a kiss. She felt the weirdling find her, felt the magic begin to well up in her direction, and cursed. She threw herself off the man, rolling over in the grass as she felt another volley of lightning slam home. Crouched low, she shook her head silently as she saw the warrior she'd knocked over had received the full brunt of the weirdling's attack. It was at that point an explosion rocked the campsite from the other side, and Raven grinned quietly to herself. She felt the sorcerer's attention be drawn to the fire that was consuming a section of the hillside on the northern face, one that was setting a fire boom spikes left and right by the way it looked. Chandra's work, Raven knew. She gestured to Alabar, who was hiding nearby, and he ran up the hillock towards her, a smile on his face. "'Are you in position?' Peter sent through their spirit bond. Not yet getting there, Raven sent, holding Alabar's hand and extending her hunter's stealth to him in the process. They found the leader of the place in his tent, his dracon pistol drawn, hiding behind his desk. She moved as silently as she could, but Alabar was not so stealthy as that. He accidentally kicked over a camp stand and... If it wasn't for the mystic shield that Alabar had been holding, the same one he'd used back when Gar died, Alabar may have joined the Fallen. But the shield did hold, his arm growing hot as it dissipated the energy, and Alabar was able to put his shepherd's crook down on the man's head. Alabar's light traveled through the crook and into his body, knocking the warrior out cold. He slumped forward onto the desk then, sleeping deeply. Nice going, Raven sent to Alabar. Then to the crew as a whole. We've got the leader. Another mercenary came through the door, and Raven materialized a dagger, preparing to throw it at him. No, no, no. Never mind, he said. Why bother? You guys win, as far as I can see. I'm the Sarge here. Harcourt's the name. This ain't worth it. You guys have a fully trained battle priest, a war sorcerer, and some kind of serious kick-ass stealth shit. Forget it. I'm done. He held up his hands. Go ahead and tie me up. I'm your prisoner. Raven glanced at Alabar, and Alabar touched the man with his crook. Raven helped him ease down, unconscious, into the cushions on the floor of the leader's tent. That was easy. Thanks, Patra. Think nothing of it, Alabar said. Then a ring of pure flame lit up the night, surrounding the camp as every single boom spike they had went up all at once. Raven's night vision was blinded by the light, and when she could see again, she saw a man standing in the flap of the leader's tent. Ah, Raven, I thought it may be you, the sorceress said, and blue-white lightning danced across the room at her. Throwing himself in front of the blast, Alabar raised his crook to try and ward off the blow, but his talent was not equal to the task. He took the shocking bolt directly and fell to the floor of the tent, convulsing. Now, let's talk, shall we, Raven? Or should I call you Melangel? 
<laughs> First of all, don't you dare throw anything at me, or I'll kill you where you stand. Second of all, I think you're in possession of something I want very, very much. In fact, if you give it to me, I can assure you that all the trouble you have with the Quadong can go away. Quadong? What? Do you work for them and the Fairchild? I serve the Jade Lords, but that is of no consequence. What is of consequence is the item. Give it to me, and you will be free of the Nightwalkers and the death sentence you have made for yourself, the sorcerer said. Fine. All right. You win. I'll give it to you. Let me get it, okay? It's in my boot. No tricks, the sorcerer said, and lightning flared up and down his arms as he did. Reaching into her boot, she found a small package. The package she'd been saving ever since the day she first met Mad Jack. She had recovered it after Alabar had healed Chandra. They had used this ring on her friend to protect them against her magic. She unwrapped it from the black silk, which nullified its effects, and tossed the item at him from across the way. There you go, she said. He caught it reflexively and looked at her mouth agape as he felt his power die, felt his magic flow away from him. It was an ashwood ring. Whore of a devil! He yelled at her, then grew a raven-claw dagger in his shoulder and his neck. He fell forward, clutching his wounds, and a fountain of blood splattered everything as he died. Stepping over him, she shook her head, bent, and picked up the disc again. Better keep this. Might come in handy, she said, wrapping it up in black silk. Then she bent over Alabar. Wake up, preacher, she said. Time's wasting. The preacher's eyes fluttered open. Mariel? He asked quietly, faintly. Sorry, lover boy, just me, the blackbird. Come on, Alabar, we've got to go. You don't know what... Everything is secure now? Peter said. Good job, team. been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.